Hi, this is David Vinson, and I'm the superintendent of schools for the Wiley Independent School District, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amanda Martin. Hi, I am the Director of Counseling Services and the Wiley Way, and welcome to the Achieving Kids podcast. Our goal is to provide a better understanding of how the decisions we make help promote the best interests of our kids and community. We will tackle big subjects, entertain different viewpoints, but the focus will always be on equipping you with the strategies that will help them become Achieving Kids. Hey guys, this is going to be one of the things that I've wanted to talk about a lot, which is my EQ or my (laughs) emotional quotient. And I think it's really important, especially today. We have Dr. Jameson with us and Amanda, in your mind, you know, EQ, why is it really important in today? Well, like we're trying to box it in here with what we have with COVID Mm -hmm. and where we're trying to get to graduation and all these different things. Let's talk to parents about how we can help them. What's up? Well, and I've noticed listening back to some of our previous podcasts, um, Dr. Jameson's alluded to it and mentioned it a couple of times. And I was like, I bet that is something parents need to know more about. And so here she is to talk about it. Awesome. Can you tell us about just EQ 101? What does it stand for? What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So EQ is just a short way to say emotional intelligence or mm-hmm. emotional quotient, like you said. Um, but really it's just, you know, we all know what IQ is. And that's just, you know, your basic school knowledge about facts and things. But EQ is really your ability to recognize and manage your own emotions while also recognizing others' emotions in the same dynamic. That sounds like a lot. (laughs) Well, emotions are a lot in general, you know, just managing and recognizing your own, but then to be in a dynamic with someone else or even a group of people and being able to recognize and manage yours while other people might be losing theirs Mm -hmm. is is what we're talking about today. Well, and the thing that we've done as a group, as leaders, Dr. Branch actually was working on this with her dissertation and had us take an EQ test. And it was really enlightening because of two things. Number one, I thought I would have a really great score, and apparently it's my EQ wasn't as great as it was. But then where I scored low in the idea of maybe not having this high EQ, that I really scored higher in the noticing that. And maybe it's because, you know, Christy or everybody points this out to me that I don't have, that I'm not listening well enough or doing whatever it is. But, you know, I do recognize there is, and that's the ability to tap the brakes when you realize you're in it. That's kind of an important thing, I guess, right? Yeah, it's really just managing your own. And if someone else is escalating to stay where you need to stay authentically and not to sort of match where they are, which is the hard part, especially if they're directing their emotionality at you because of something you did or said. Yeah, I don't know. that. And not taking it personally, right? It's, It's sort of keeping your own emotional pace while not aligning with theirs. Well, Daniel Goleman is a huge like emotional intelligence researcher. He has a book called Emotional Intelligence. And one of the key pieces he says in his book is like, if you could measure it, about maybe 20% of success in life has something to do with IQ, but IQ is what most people know about. And then he was like, in the 90s, he couldn't find that many places that had what school talk about EQ or emotional intelligence, like social emotional learning. And so how it's kind of grown and now it's getting in legislation. It's in Texas legislation now and things like that. So why do you think there's been a shift from IQ to EQ lately? Well, we have to remember, we've only really been researching the brain seriously for like 25 years. That is so true. Mm -hmm. You know, so we're going to see progressions in anything in regards to brain development, 
IQ, EQ. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a function of that broaden research that's happening. I mean, we're really in the baby stages of brain research, if you think about it. Yeah, and it's important from a school perspective. And, you know, it's funny that you say that. <clears throat> in Wiley, we spend so much time talking about social emotional wellness and, you know, collective values and the things that are really important to be a positive adult that's going to be able to live a normal life. And when you talk to researchers, the person that, you know, Angela Duckworth, leader in grit, Mm -hmm. she says, know all about grit, don't know how to make it. And so it's really hard to say that. But what Daniel Goldman does, correct me if I'm wrong, he says that you can grow your EQ, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not anything that's going to happen in in one class. You know, you can't take one class on EQ. By the way, everyone thinks they have high EQ. <laughs> really I can do see that. I have worked with and for IQ? people. <laughs> I have worked with and for people who believe they have really high EQ, and it's so obvious that they lack EQ. Mm-hmm. Right? That it's it's almost interesting to me um, that people can't see it in themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm also trained as a therapist, right? So I have a little. I look at people just a little bit more intensely, yeah. I think, than most. Um, but everyone thinks they have high EQ because everyone is a thinking, feeling person. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they believe that their thoughts and feelings are valid. Therefore, they believe they have high EQ. But it's it's a factor of so many things. So you know, you can teach it all day long in the schools, but if kids go home and they are growing up in an environment with like a poor attachment style Mm -hmm. or not a warm household or high conflict or a lot of separation, you know, they're not going to get it. I mean, this is, this is a lifelong exercise in EQ and it comes with maturity and lived experience and wisdom and failed relationships and successful relationships. So to think that we can teach people EQ in one class or one setting or one year or four years of their experience at a high school is, is ludicrous. So one of the things that as a growing up in my childhood, which was the best ever, I love my mom and dad, like nothing else. My mom, has this empathy. She would feel sorry for the car when she was driving us places, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so my dad, wonderful man, just quiet, didn't talk about anything. And I always thought my emotional intelligence comes from my mom, but my mom's exactly like me, highly emotional about different things. And and so that's not high EQ. Mm -hmm, That's just being emotional. Sure. Exactly. That's a great example because you know, your mom's a great example of someone who is highly empathetic, but I wonder if you were to ask your mom straight up about her thoughts and feelings, if she would deflect to other people. Always. Right? So it's like she's always caring about others, but does she have the capacity to really be thoughtful about her authentic feelings and thoughts? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's five components to this. You can be really great at one, like you can be highly empathetic, yeah. but maybe not necessarily in the four other areas. And to be, to have a high EQ, you need a pretty solid standing in each of these categories. And it's so funny that you talk about the idea of the 80% and the 20%. Mm -hmm. No joke, no lie. The reason that people are not here probably or lose their job or do whatever, it's because that ability to manage that emotion, to have those conversations, to be willing to be a part of a group. And, you know, that a self-assessment. I'm going through it right now with my life. And I'm thinking, do I really have these things where I think, well, do I have more friends than less right now? Mm-hmm. 
uh, do I have more buy-in or less buy-in? And you really have to ask yourself some of those EQ questions because your friendships, your relationships, all those kind of things are going to be a direct result of your ability to ma- navigate this world in this way, right? Absolutely. I mean, the very first component is self-awareness. Mm-hmm. How many times have you said to someone, man, they just don't see themselves clearly or yeah. they don't see how they act in those meetings? Right. Right. It's like the very first step is self-awareness. Right. And a lot of people don't see themselves clearly. And, you know, the thing is, is that defensive nature or stance that a lot of people take, it's just the most unhealthy version of it. My hope in leadership is that people can come tell me, you know, you got to relook at this. And I mean, from anyone from, well, anyone that they feel that, that, um, that comfort to be able to do that. And in any certain situation, you can be married and, and not feel that way, you know, with your kids, how to find a way to, to, con- to converse or have that, you know, wherever it is. You, you mentioned one time I was, I get up to work early and I work a lot. I was emailing on Saturday, on Sunday, I was emailing at three and four in the morning. And, uh, you know, you were saying, how does that make people feel? And I was like, well, I think it's great because they're prepared, <laughs> but it wasn't right. So now, even though I think it was awesome, I don't do that because you really do have to listen and learn mm-hmm. from other people, right? No question. Yeah. And the second step, you know, self-regulation. So yeah. take your 3 a.m. email, right? And I don't, I don't know what that was rooted in. If you were just feeling anxious or frustrated or angry or optimistic or hopeful, I don't know what that 3 a.m. email was about, but you know, step one would be, why am I emailing at 3 a.m.? What am I feeling? You know, and, and pick one, pick one of those words I just said. Well, my my the, my main reason was is I want everybody to know that I'm working harder than they are and that I'm going to be the example that that uh, that I'm working for them that I'm trying to help them. But it wasn't true. It just made people mad. Okay. All right. So recognizing that maybe like that was that was a, you were flexing, right? Is what the kids say. It was a flex. <laughs> You're posturing. Like That's I'm what working. Kate says that all the time. <laughs> right. You know, I work with teens. Sometimes I use their words, <laughs> but that that was like a flex in the middle of the night. Like I'm working. Like this is the expectation, right? But step two would have been that self-regulation to know. Okay, if this is my thought or feeling, what is the behavior attached to it? And your behavior attached to it was the email. Yeah. That wasn't. That was maybe didn't need to happen. Mm-hmm. And I realized that in these conversations, in my own self-reflection, is that. People need to have a life. Yeah. And uh, I need to be better about that, even with my own family and other those things. It, it is those pieces and parts when the willingness to listen. And then you, out of all that, you st- do start realizing in that way. But with kids, especially your own, y'all, it's hard, mm-hmm. incredibly hard for, to get them to realize anything that you're saying has validity or reliability or any of those kind of things because. You're saying it from a different place, right? How do you do that with your kids and get them to realize that self-awareness in a different way? Yeah. Well, I think the classic parental phrase is, how do you think that made her feel? Right. Right. I mean, that's sort of the quintessential, (laughs) that sort of EQ at its finest parenting (laughs) is you're forcing your child to stop and think about whatever their behavior, how, what was the impact on the other child? Like, how do you think your sister felt? Look at her. How does she, maybe I'm just talking from no, my own experience look at, her at face. this time. What emotion do you think is yes. on their face? <laughs> look at your sister. How do you think she feels right now that you two left her out? And then they're like, sad, mm-hmm. bad, right? So I guess that's sort of more aggressive EQ parenting, <laughs> but that's a good example that I think most parents can relate to. So parents are better at this than 
you know, listen, we're calling this EQ and we're labeling it with these five pillars and we're making it sound very like, you know, higher level critical thinking. But at the end of the day, we're just talking about being a good person Mm -hmm. and we're teaching little people how to be good people. And to be a good person means that you're not selfish in your thoughts and feelings. Right. And that you recognize others. That's all it is. So yes, we're dressing it up here and Daniel Goldman has made a career of this. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we're just really talking about being decent, kind human beings, which can be difficult in a culture of fast paced, achievement oriented, sort of selfish thinking, uh, a me first mentality. Um, but at the end of the day, this is really all it is. You know, when we talk about character education, we really don't even use that phraseology very much anymore mm-hmm. in, in our vernacular. Mm-hmm. Because number one, it seems it comes from a place of judgment. Mm-hmm. And this notion of being savvy and how I sort of try to approach my own children with and then those who are in our care from the school district is to say, this awareness, this social awareness is going to allow you to make more friends, be more popular, find success in the groups that you're you're offering. Not, because if you start saying it's going to make you a better person, it's going to do these kind of things, well, then that's a big turnoff. That's like eating mm-hmm. vegetables. But what they're getting out of it is an important piece of it. And, you know, we're all pretty narcissistic, let's be honest. And when you can help a kid to say, this is the pathway towards where you want to go, to me, that's... I mean, how do you do that? Is that or is that even right-headed thinking? I don't know. I mean, that's a tall order for kids, right? I mean, they know when their behavior is positive. You know, they they know when they've made a mistake based on just being a kid. And they know when they're being disingenuous. They know when they're lying. They know when they're being a good sibling. They know these things. Yeah. But oftentimes they process it internally so they don't always know if it's correct or incorrect. So again, this takes present parenting, which mm-hmm. I talk about literally every time I'm here is mm-hmm. about just being authentic with your child and, and seeing these things in them and highlighting the good and correcting the bad. Yeah, That's really what parenting is, right? So just last night, my 13 year old, you know, I, my neighborhood is literally right in the middle of our school. So everyone in the neighborhood goes to our school. Mm-hmm. It's like everywhere you turn, you know, everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said, Miles, you know, so-and-so wants to go with you guys. They were going to go down to Jesuit and hit the wall for lacrosse. And I was like, why don't you invite so-and-so? And he's like, oh. And I was like, Miles? I said, sit down. <laughs> That's fixing so it again. It's going to get real. <laughs> I'm about to have a therapy session uh-huh. right here. Right? He didn't want to invite this kid. And I'm like, what is your deal with this kid? And he was not being very specific about what it is. And I said, well, how do you think he feels watching all of you ride all your bikes down to the high school? How do you think that makes him feel? And does you, is your reason why you're not inviting him on the same level of how he's going to feel seeing you guys all walk by? Mm-hmm. And he's like, Phew. right? Because he didn't want to do the right thing. He just wanted to hop on his bike with his friends and go do what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Right? It is easier. Yeah. Man, and I will you tell you, right there. and That's I will impressive. tell you, he didn't invite him. Mm-hmm. He didn't invite him. So I had things to do last night with my other children. So when everyone was home for the evening and everyone was, you know, shutting it down, I went in his room and I was like, listen, I just want to let you know, I'm clear on what you did last night. And I'm disappointed in the choice that you made. Mm. Now, was I shaming him? Sure. You could call it that. Mm-hmm. Or was I fostering emotional intelligence? I think you're doing, you could both. argue either. I think that you're in, in this situation. I think that, that the reality of it is we need to make sure our kids realize 
that there's both good and bad things of how we act and what we do and that there's ramifications from it and that they're going to be on the other end of that stick because mm-hmm. they will be right. That will happen. Now, what would have happened if, you know, everyone took their showers and went to bed and I did not go in there and talk to him about that? Well, he would get in the pass. What's that? He would have gotten the past, right? Yeah, exactly. He would have gone to bed like, oh, she forgot. I like mm-hmm. dodged that conversation. But he knows in his heart that that was not a good choice based on our value system, like our family value system and what we expect in terms of friendship. You know, and it's funny. I have one kid that's a little bit that way. And then I have another kid that will invite people and do things to the point of his detriment mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Because he realizes that that's going to be the only opportunity they're going to have. And it's the most wonderful thing in the whole world. I, I always say, someday, Cal, that, you know, you're, a girl is going to really appreciate this about who you are and what you do. But he will literally just sacrifice his own enjoyment to make sure that other people are. So when you have that with other people, I know it's a great quality and it makes him a good leader in a lot of different ways. But mm-hmm. I have given him the permission to say, you don't have to do that, bud. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's yeah. correct. That's right. Man, right headed thinking, right? I mean, or is it not? No, that's fine. No, that's fine. Because you don't want be, you don't want Cal to be a child who overextends at the detriment of his own enjoyment. Yes. Right. So he's really good on the social skills aspect of EQ, right? He's inclusive, which mm-hmm. is one of the functions of it, which is great, but not at the detriment of his own authenticity. Right? Was he able to enjoy the event or was he just worried that everyone was included? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I think a lot of times that the people that you're, you're having and what you're including do hurt because they don't, you know, it's the person that didn't get invited, right? For a reason. Yeah. And so there's a balance between those two things. And that's really important. And, you know, when I was a teacher, my main goal was to make sure I continued to have a relationship with my kids in the classroom. I extended that to my home. And, you know, one of the things that Kate and I were having a disagreement about something the other day, and I said, my main thing is I want to love you at the end of this. I want to make sure that we have a relationship and we can talk about this. And because, I mean, I was totally on the other side of where she was, mm-hmm. and she wasn't thinking correctly, but she's 17. When I was a moron when I was 17, <laughs> right. and the thing is, they're going to come back and do those things, but it is so hard in the moment. Mm-hmm. But. It's very different conversations, but the same result. We get to have a foster a good relationship and point them in the right direction. Because I also don't want to give our kids the, the deal. Well, you've always got to be nice. You've always got to do this because you don't know where their heart is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like we've done a little better job of that with little kids is, you know, not making little kids hug family members. Right. Oh. You know, I, I feel like we're, we've made progress there. I, I see that in some of my other mom friends of, you know, not necessarily having to hug everybody or... Or being allowed to tell an adult no. Yes. Yes, right. exactly. So I feel like well, we have made strides uh, in that way. Oh, like yeah. If you, if you tell kids they can't tell an adult no, then they think that they can... And they can tell an adult no. So I... Yeah, I've seen... My mom mm-hmm. friends the same way. Mm-hmm. I've seen changes. You... Can't get the memo on that early. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> that's awesome. It's all good. She says no to me all the time. <laughs> she says no to me. Mm. Like We're talking them. little kids. Little we don't kids. we don't want them socialized to believe that whatever adult asks of them, the respectful thing to do no, is to comply. It is. And that and it's They're and not always safe people. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are important. Kids and features. dogs. They sense they sense something's up. Yep. Well, and we talk to advisory boards of like businesses in the community and things like that. And we always are asking like what jobs are are they looking for or coming up, what kind of people because 
while we love our students, we want them to graduate and go out and be good people and do good things. And um, almost always they say, we can teach the skills. We need them to be able to think critically, talk to people, you know, be a team player, all those Mm -hmm. things. And all of that is rooted in emotional intelligence. Yes. And I think we used to call it, um, and sometimes we still do, myself included, book smart versus street smart. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the classic way of talking about people who are highly intelligent, but they lack people skills. And we yeah. used to say, well, they're just really book smart, not street smart. Yeah. Or they're really street smart, but not book smart. So, um, but yeah, so many universities now and so many jobs are just asking about their EQ, which is like the soft skills part of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that schools now, high schools are, um, asking kids to really stop and think about that part of themselves. Right. And that looks like group work, presentations, (laughs) communication with professors and teachers. Mm -hmm. Like all of that is the soft skills that I think schools are now looking for more of a whole child aspect versus just what do the scores look like? That kind of gets into what we were talking about too. When we were asking ourselves the Wiley way and the SEL curriculum that we develop, Mm -hmm. you know, in its best version of itself, can you kind of recommend a, you know, I guess that's what you are recommending is that's how it should look in a, in a, in a, in a curriculum, right? So where they get to actually practice it. Mm-hmm. Teach the skills, practice the skills. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, you know, teachers might roll their eyes as one more thing you're going to fold into, you know, their curriculum, but it doesn't have to be hour long lessons, no. right? No. This is basically a check-in before a test. Right. How are you thinking? How are you feeling? Like, what are we going to, what mindset are we going to try to stay in while we're taking this pop quiz? Or, right. you know, we're going to discuss a really difficult topic today. Let's talk about how everyone's feeling right now. What are the goals of this conversation? And let's remind each other that this is a safe place and we're all going to practice respect and boundaries. That's it. Mm-hmm. This takes less than three minutes mm-hmm. to tee up a lesson or an assessment. And that helps kids learn how to check in with themselves before a difficult conversation or an interview or a presentation or a talk with the principal about, okay, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling nervous, but this is a safe place. I'm going to do my best. It's just that quick mental check-in that we're, that we can teach kids easily every day, every, every class. You know, one of the things that we're exploring now is restorative practice. Mm-hmm. And the, that's a real foundation of that, that we're hoping to unveil next year. The thing that we don't want to do is unveil it incorrectly, right? Because then you can discard everyone. Mm-hmm. But the notion of this restorative practice is that, and one real fundamental thing that we discussed in three seconds was, you know, teachers have rules and you have these classroom standards and it's all about what you don't want them to do. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of wrap that new mentality about what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, what? how do you expect to act and how can we act and treat it as this, this moment where we all have uh, the, a healthy level of hope, well-being, engagement? Because that's where we get off the rails. Someone gets sideways or whatever, and it's, it covers social justice. It covers all these different things, but it brings it back to a central deal of just being nice to each other and realizing you're being a jerk and trying to just treat everybody like you want to be treated. Yeah. And I love when teachers ask the kids, what do you think the classroom rules should be? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, you know, as adults, we have a very clear set of what we think. But then when we ask the kids what they think, they come up with some beautiful things to add to that list that oftentimes are, you know, what they'd like to see versus the don'ts. They add a lot of the do's. Two things about that that we've ta- talked about is that, number one, that we really have to put our listening caps on and, and listen to them instead of just letting them rattle their dolls off until we can unveil the ones, the list that we already have for them. Correct, yes. And the second thing is, 
like, and I say this in my own family, and I say this as you know, leader of the school district, is that I really want them to 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 want for those kids to be that when they you know to feel that and to want that you know and you know it's it's hard for me to sometimes just realize like I shouldn't say something right then I, sh- I need to kind of come back to that later on, but it's so hard when especially when you're dealing with twenty five kids in the classroom, but it's just as hard as your own family because you're so close and you do things together as far as that social and emotional standard of how we're going to treat one another. It's hard. Definitely. And one of the things I love about Wiley is how if we were going to implement any sort of programming, like to convince is too strong of a word, but to present it to Dr. Vincent or Dr. Spicer, we would have to show data. Like (laughs) where's the need? Why are we doing this? All those kinds of things. So social emotional learning is kind of hard to present data on, Mm -hmm. but he, he's like, okay, we'll look at discipline, attendance, all the things that we already track. And we saw how in the fifth grade and the seventh grade and kindergarten, um, those are our big transition years in the ninth grade, Mm -hmm. we saw data dip a little bit on behavior or whatever. And so I was like, let's just start there. You know, so year, year one was talking to the teachers about it all last year, year Mm -hmm. two, we have a 10 minute lesson in K five and seven once a week where they practice, they learn a skill and then they practice it all week. Mm-hmm. And we just got an email yesterday from one of the, <laughs> the kindergarten teachers. They did their lesson this week was an empathy lesson and they did a go noodle and it literally took 10 minutes, mm-hmm. but then the kids were able to recognize emotion on faces, say why that was that f- their friend was feeling that way. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, it can be taught. People can develop this. Mm-hmm. We can do this. Yep. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that simple. It doesn't have to be so intense and complicated. So when you see someone that's just off the rails emotionally, you know, we're talking about general practice and ways we can implement this. You know, what's your advice for parents that have, that that basically their kids, not at zero, but pretty close and just can't, can't manage it. Is there a way to bring them back? Is there, is there things to, to recognize or, you know, because I really haven't ever thought about this as a dangerous thing, but I mean, I guess people at this moment, if they're just totally self-aware, there's some destruction mode, right? I mean, well, there's other factors. I know we're running out of time. There's other factors at play here. I mean, if, if someone has a personality disorder, mm-hmm. right, which we, does not get enough airtime, no, um, no. that is really going to interfere or straight up block emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. right? Like narcissism. Mm-hmm is a personality disorder. If you have narcissistic personality disorder, EQ is almost never going to happen for you. (laughs) You're sociopathic really almost. Right. Because your brain is literally wired in one direction and it's not flexible. So you could put them in, you know, Daniel Goleman's home (laughs) and that person is, is not going to deviate from that because a personality disorder is is a set um, wiring that right. they bring one behavior to every scenario, which is literally the opposite of EQ. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are factors here. There are mental health issues at play that everyone is not going to get this. So to answer your question, if someone's completely off the rails, I'd like to think if someone grew up in a, a warm home and is in a loving school environment, they're going to get some baseline EQ. Mm-hmm. But there are other big you know, mental health and other factors at play here that really could interfere with this process. Last question for me. Based on what you just said, and you deal with this a lot in different circles, when you have a lot of um, financial wealth and you deal with kids that are that that just don't see the reality of you know uh, making it day to day or month to month that are just that just have everything, mm-hmm. and is that is it harder to have EQ in that spot? 
Well, it is. Yes, it is. Because, well, if you look at the five factors, it's difficult to have self-awareness. If things, if things are pretty pleasant for you, you know, and you have a lack of grit, that's going to be hard to believe that anything you're doing is incorrect because everything keeps working for you. And it's not necessarily how you're behaving, but it's the environment and, and the buffers that have been put along your path that have created that you know, mm-hmm. nice calm path for you, not necessarily what you're doing. And for a child or for an adolescent, that can be hard to, to reconcile. Yeah. So yeah, of course it, it makes it a little bit more difficult, especially if you're in a, a bubble of other people who are affluent and then yeah. it all seems to be pretty easy for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Then you really have a hard time recognizing and relating to others who are not in your bubble. That's one of the best things I like about Wiley. And of course I'm being such a homer here, but our kids are experiencing people that are of such different cultures and different religions and different social status that it was a eye opener and being part of a team or being part of a group or doing whatever it is that you do with other kids. Um, and people are pretty free to express how they are and their limitations and their, and their, and their surplus. But you know, it's nice having that because it would be hard. I would feel it would be hard to be in that bubble, right? Because that's the only yes, reality you know. Exactly. Yeah. Diversity lends itself to empathy and social skills, mm-hmm. which is, you know, four and fifth pillar of the EQ. So yeah, no question. That's a benefit to them. Well, one of the things that we'll be getting into, and you'll be a big part of this as we roll through this restorative practice and we look at these social skills that we're going to try to develop with people is to get that very thing going and to help them. We call it living above the line. But it's not like we're going to go race everybody at the end of the day. It's just that those behaviors are going to keep you healthy, that, that with hope, well-being, and engagement and grow them in that way. But from a parent perspective, EQ is going to be a big part of, grow, of, of that social-emotional wellness. I guess, it, would you have any just one thing or two things that a parent would want to need to do to, to, to grow EQ if you're going to give them an EQ, you know, a survey? I mean, what, what would you think would be some good things to to consider. I mean, just a quick, just a quick read on what it is. You know, I think people believe they know what it is, but like, for example, we didn't talk about motivation today, but how is that Mm -hmm. included in EQ? Yeah. You know, so I think there's some prize, some surprising factors that are encompassed in EQ that parents probably need to know. So let's talk a little bit, let's go over time. I would rather talk about it. What do you think about EQ as far as the motivational piece of this? Yeah. So this is sort of my favorite part of it because it's so surprising that it is layered in there. So the motivation factor is, you know, so you have self-awareness and then you have self-regulation and then you have motivation. Motivation is like your, your goal setting for yourself in a healthy, optimistic, positive way. Well, if you're tracking on self-awareness and self-regulation, you are naturally going to set goals for yourself. A child who has a hard time or an adult, frankly, who has a hard time setting goals for themselves, who are just sort of going through the motions of life, you have to question the self-awareness and the self-regulation. Someone who really understands who they are and how to manage their feelings, that is baseline and then the the human experience is to continue to grow and create. So physically, we stop growing, mm-hmm. right? But emotionally and mentally, we continue to grow by learning and creating and engaging. And for people who are not setting personal goals for themselves of any sort, personally or professionally, they get stuck, right? And then that's going to sort of chip away at the EQ because to have high EQ throughout the longevity of your life requires that you continue to grow and create and engage. 
and that a healthy person has goals. You know, if we went around this table today and asked, what are some of your personal goals? What are some of your professional goals? I would expect people could answer that question, Mm -hmm. right? Because we're in a, y'all are pretty cool people here around the table with good EQ. (laughs) But if you are, you know, sitting across a table or a desk from a child or an adult who can't articulate any sort of goal, then you have to question like that layer one and that layer two. Right? If you get stuck in the self-awareness, self-regulation, you're not going to be able to see what's next down the road for you because the present is so complex. Yes. So someone who has goals means that they are good where they are, but they can also see down the road. Mm-hmm. So motivation is, um, and, and there's other personality factors and things that go into that. This is not just clear cut, but in terms of teaching this in school, you know, we always goal set, but you know, when I talk to kids in August in therapy, like, what are your goals? What do they always say? I want to get straight A's. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a sort of like this automatic Rote memory. <laughs> yes. Like blah, blah, blah. It's the same things over and over. But a kid who can have something creative or interesting that aligns with their authentic self is really what we're looking for. And it's hard in that sense, because if, if you talk to kids in the classroom or as a principal, they'll say, here's what my parents want for me. Right. Oh, and yeah. here's what I want. Absolutely. And as a as a parent, I've had to take and stop and break and 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 do that and say, what do I want for them? Because that's really hard because their lives are so complex anyway, being the superintendent's kids. And then I just have to just I don't want I thought, man, this is where you need to be. I know you better than you know yourself and those kind of things. And they probably will get there someday. Right. But and I think that say so they make some decisions that I would never want to make, but it's not hurting them really. It's just, this is going to be a longer way around wherever you're going to go, but you need to take the trip, but that's hard to let them do it. But then yeah. it's also hard to not say, I told you so. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, goes right. back to emotional intelligence. Cause I want to. <laughs> yeah. That's that self-regulation piece for and you. I'm telling you, that's the hardest part of that. Mm-hmm. Cause I just want to take a lap when they're just, cause I mean, anyway, but, it's really important. And that's the thing that, that we, you want your kids to be everything, but you know, but what they want to be sometimes. And it's really, that's the thing that we, from a self-regulation standpoint that I've had to take a step back and realize. Yeah. And from a cultural standpoint too. Yes. I mean, there are careers that are, have high esteem and those that aren't. And if you've got a child somewhere in the middle there, you know, like all these Dallas boys I work with, they all just finance. What are you going to major in finance, 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 I'm like, why? And you know what they say? Want to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I'm like, come on. Like, in Dallas, Dallas boys are the worst. You know, this is like my clientele. So I feel like I can be specific about them. Yeah. Yeah. Finance, finance, finance. Mm-hmm. Because they want to live a lifestyle that they're living currently with parents who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s. Right? They, they just want to make a lot of money so they can live the lifestyle that they are currently in. And they don't take the time to think, oh gosh, maybe my parents' life didn't look like this when they were 22 out of college right. or 25 out of college. Right. But they see the quick, the quick path to that is business finance. I will say this about the whole premise and, pro- and process about that very thing, that affluence is one thing, but Christy is helping a little, well, we, where it's a group effort. I'm helping, you know, kids in college and it's, you know, there's, there's a couple of kids and Christy has her under the radar and they made some boneheaded mistakes. One of them made a boneheaded mistake and Christy was calling the Dean and getting the stuff to organized and, 
And I was just like going, oh my gosh. Well, number one, I had to go up. We were driving to this place to have a salad that I did not want. But then, so that put me in a bad mood. So my self-awareness was pretty low. But my EQ was getting uh, it getting worse as we drove to the salad <laughs> place. But then she, I was always scrapping about it. And she said, David, no one's taught him. He doesn't know that that's wrong. I mean, he's never been in this moment. We, you know, our, our kids work through these systems and that's, mm -hmm. oh, well, now I feel guilty and I'm having a salad. Mm -hmm. But the point of it is that that's a lot of the circumstances. They, 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 right. they, they don't get it. And to understand them a little bit more than to judge them, mm -hmm. it's just so fast and easy to judge. Yeah. Compa well, compassion. You know, remember, I sit in therapy with this kid to just basically narrate the stories that happen in their home. And mm -hmm. of course I'm getting one side of it and all yeah. good therapists know there's another side to every story, yeah. but, um, and they're also, you know, adolescent so they can embellish mm -hmm. and I get that. But a lot of times I'm appalled at sometimes some of these things parents say that just lack compassion. Right. But mm -hmm. it goes back to my whole theory of children are the new status symbols of families. So they don't often give their child enough time to make all the mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, they just, they want the final product now and they want it to be, nice and shiny and without flaws and well, that can create a lot of conflict but no yeah. i'll wrap it up by saying this is that one of the things that uh, my parents gave me is just absolute and unconditional love i mean in everything and they were proud of everything that i did and probably to not probably to a detriment but i wanted my kids to have that mm -hmm. but i also they didn't understand some of the things to, to get me in the pathway that would help me and sometimes that pathway of me wanting to make sure they don't make those mistakes and do those things um, gets in the way of my notion of the biggest and most important thing is that, that they feel love and compassion yeah. and understanding because that, that's yeah. the blanket they need to be held with every day, isn't it? Yes. Yes. You know, I was just thinking we should do a podcast on parenting styles. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's next. Awesome. And let's, we'll, we'll right, bring yeah. in Christy and we'll have a therapy for oh, her my about what she can do. <laughs> yeah. Because as you were just talking about your, you know, you came from a home of unconditional love. So you're biased thinking that that's the primary, that, like mm -hmm. that's the gold standard, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not every parenting style, right? So we should, we should definitely dive into that. It's funny because I was talking to my Lulu, my mom, last night, and she was just, there's one of our, our chief of police passed away in our community. And I mean, I really did have the best life that anyone's ever had. I mean, I really, I'm, I'm continuing that life now. I mean, everything just sort of works out for me. But it's just, it's so great because, you know, he was Robert Stout, greatest man in the whole world. And uh, she, she calls and says, Dave, and she thought this was so cute. David, I just remember when the police would call and say, the boys are, David is driving a car and I know he doesn't have a license and he's on top of the car. And and so the thing is, is that, so you need to go get him. And she goes, you're just so cute. And I thought anybody else would have just, that's probably, that's probably to an unhealthy stand, right? Just different parenting styles. It was, but. <laughs> different decade. Different, yeah. different whatever it was. Yeah. But I mean, the point of it is, is that I felt that love all the time and judgment. And if something went bad, I told my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Because they love me and whatever it was going to be there. And so if we could, if, at the end of the day, when kids come to Wiley ISD, I want them to feel like they're going to leave these buildings and they might be frustrated. They might have made an F that they completely deserved, mm -hmm. but we love them. Right. And that's the Wiley way. And that's what we want to make sure because EQ is going to be a big part of developing that with them. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, y'all.